Good morning and welcome to the Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine, and we are so happy to have you guys with us here today. Well, today we're in week three of our series called Do It Scared. This is our last week for Do It Scared. Now, we begin this series simply by stating that when God calls us to live in our purpose, it can be scary. That when God calls us to do something, it can feel terrifying. We feel underqualified. But we talked about God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. That it's, a, it's okay for us to be afraid and full of faith in the same moment. That we don't have to be completely fearless, we just have to be bold enough to do it scared. And so that's what we've been talking about in this series. Last week, uh, my good friend Teddy Winter, the pastor of uh, Seacoast Asheville, was here to share a practical message with you about discerning your calling. Sometimes we hear all this stuff about God's calling on our lives and purpose for us, and it's just like this big cloud of mystery. What does that even mean? I don't know if God has a calling for me. I sell insurance, and this is just what I do. I don't. How is there supposed to be God's calling in it? And Teddy brought some clarity around that last week. He talked about how sometimes God's calling for us is this big, grand thing, and sometimes his calling for us is basic, to live in our purpose where God has us right now. And then we talked about how to discern those things. So if you weren't here last week, we've got that message up on our website. I really recommend giving it a listen. It's, it's great practical stuff that you can take with you to decide and discern what God's calling is on your life. Now maybe it's been three whole weeks and somehow you're still not sure what God's calling is for your life. I can't believe it. How has there not been enough time for you to discern this next great thing for you? Let me just encourage you a little bit this morning. Uh, I believe God has a next for you. I believe that wherever you find yourself right now, wherever you are, whatever, whatever season you're in, wherever you've been, whatever God's already done in you and through you, that there is a next for you, that it's big that it's more amazing than anything you've ever dreamed of, that God is not finished with you yet. Now, maybe you've got that stirring inside of you already. You've got, that, you've got that move of God happening within you, that unsatisfied feeling inside that God wants to do something. Maybe you've got clear vision around it and you're just waiting to move forward with it, whatever it is. Maybe you don't feel like anything at all, like you don't know what your purpose is. You don't know what, what God's calling you to do. I just need you to know that if you're still breathing, God's not finished with you yet. There's a next for you. Uh, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, it says, For I'm being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. In other words, if Jesus hasn't come back yet, he's not finished with you yet. If Jesus isn't standing outside right now waiting to just take us all away, left behind style, folded clothes on the bed, then he's not done with you yet. He's still moving in your life. He's got a next for you. And so if, you're, if you've already gone through seasons of serving God and you, you feel like you're just at the end of your life and you don't know what's next, I want to tell you that he's not finished with you yet. And if you're, you, you're in the very beginning and you, you're new in your faith or you're, you're young and you're just not sure what life has ahead of you, you need to know God's got a dream for your life. 
And it's bigger than anything you've ever imagined. And so if you're still struggling with your purpose, I want to invite you right after this service to join us in Growth Track. Today, step two of Growth Track is about discovering your purpose. Let's talk about it. Let's get together. Let's look at how God designed you because only you have your purpose and your calling. So let's look at how he's made you and his dreams for you. That's what we do in Growth Track Step 2. If you're still struggling with that, please stick around after service and come join us for Growth Track Step 2 today. And if maybe you know what your purpose is and you're dreaming about your calling, then I would encourage you to really dig into last week's message because I don't believe God's calling on our lives is something that's, that's very difficult to find. I think you just got to know where to look and how to listen and, and how to find it and we want to help you with all of that as well. God's got something big in store for you. And that's what this, this series has been all about. As we wrap it up today, that's what I hope you leave believing, that God's got more for your life. Today we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 7. We're going to watch Gideon do the thing that God created him to do. We're going to watch him come into this moment of calling. Our message this week is called Leave Room for the Miracle. Leave room for the miracle. Have you ever looked at something somebody did and thought, great job, but there's no way you did that yourself? I'll give you an example. I have a daughter. Her name is Eleanor. She's going to be three next month. I came home from work one day this past week. The weather was nice. and My wife and daughter were out in the front yard. Uh, we have a sidewalk out there, and they were drawing with sidewalk chalk. Isn't sidewalk chalk great? It's, a, it's an excellent way to make your child look like they've just stolen a bag of money from a bank with blue ink all over their face, right? Just powdered chalk everywhere throughout the house. It's such a wonderful invention, so much fun. And so I came home, and there was a stick figure family drawn on the sidewalk here and a little heart, and it was all very nice. And then all around it was just this great splotch of color, just a beautiful splash of color everywhere, like somebody had used an entire stick of sidewalk chalk. And I looked at it and I said, My daughter, I said, Eleanor, did you, what, what, what have you drawn? Did you draw this? And she said, Yes, Daddy, I drew our family, see? And I said, You drew that by yourself? And she goes, Yes. And I love my daughter, and I was proud of her, but she was lying to me in that moment <laughs> because there's no way she drew that by herself. She can't draw stick figures. Come on, she can't draw a heart. The big splotch of color, that was definitely her, and it was beautiful. But she had a little bit of help here, okay? Now, do you ever feel this way when an adult tells you that they did something? Do you ever feel this way when you're talking to an adult? and Maybe they said, hey, check out these cabinets that I built based off of something I saw on Pinterest. Pinterest is the main culprit in most of these conversations. Look at this kitchen table I made based off of something I saw on Pinterest. And you look at it and you think, yeah, that's great, but who helped you? you know? Who helped with this? Did Paul Mackey come over? Did, did Robert Knight help you out today? What'd you do? Who, who helped you with that? It's okay, adults. It's okay. Sometimes, you know, we need a little bit of help with things. And, you know, I'm, I was proud of my daughter with those pictures, but I happen to know she's not capable of construct art yet. She can't even draw a stick, let alone a stick figure. But what she contributed was beautiful. It was just okay for her to have a little bit of help with it. Sometimes I feel like people must feel this way when they look at this church. When they look, oh yeah, that John Mark's the lead pastor there. He's done a great job starting that church, but he had a little bit of help there, right? Like, 
Somebody else was involved with that, right? And they'd be right. They'd be right. We had an army of people that started this church from scratch, and the favor of God has been in it the whole time. My point is that sometimes it's clear that somebody else has been helping, but that that's okay. We see that in Gideon's life. Uh, when, when Gideon goes to do this amazing thing, we see that God wanted, his, wanted Gideon's life to reflect the miracles that God was going to do in them. You see, when there's a little bit of room for that, when it's obvious we didn't do something by ourselves, then God gets the glory for it. God wants the glory for the amazing things he's going to do in your life. So I want to look at chapter 7 of Judges today, uh, most, of the, most of the chapter. I'm going to read it. And it's a great story, and then we'll break it down a little bit, and we'll see what we can learn from it. What we're going to see here is, an, is basically the movie 300. So you're going to want to lean in. I'll act it out as much as I can. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Here's what you need to know right now. This camp of Midian is literally like a village full of people. And it's two armies, the Midian army and the Amalekite army. It's almost a million people camped out in this valley. Gideon has 35,000 men, and most of them are terrified. This is already not great odds. And God says, I want there to be no doubt that this was something that I did for you. Look at verse 3. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left and 10,000 remained. This is not looking good so far. But the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water and there the Lord told him, Separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. I got questions here. What's going on with these guys in the way they drink water? And I, I don't know if Gideon got to keep the dumb ones or the smart ones. Because who's, who's really winning here? The guys that are, are cupping it with their hands? Why aren't they just drinking it out of the cup of their hands? Why are they doing this? That makes you uncomfortable just to watch. It makes me uncomfortable to do it up here. Why are they doing it? And then the other guys are literally just getting down on their hands and knees and sticking their entire head underwater and just drinking. This doesn't make sense to me. I don't know if Gideon got the smart ones or the dumb ones. He definitely got the crazy ones. And also, why hasn't anybody invented cups yet? How long have people been around clay? Couldn't they have made a cup by this time? I don't know. I got questions about this part of the story. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men that, I, that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. 
So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of others. It's important that you get the picture here. These men are, are not warriors. These men have been afraid to fight for generations. And now God has told him only to keep the ones that do this. So when you think about this 300 about to face off against hundreds of thousands, don't imagine Gerard Butler and his 10-pack of abs with a red cape and a spear. Instead, I want you to picture a bunch of dad bots. Picture the U.S. men's Olympic curling team, okay? And, and, and they've, got, they've got dresses on because that's kind of what they wore back then and not cool capes. And they're not really warriors. They're guys with trumpets. They're, it's a giant brass band, okay? Not a bunch of warriors. Now, if you're, now, the camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. And during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up and go down against the camp because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura. Listen, this is important. Because God knew that Gideon was still afraid. God, Gideon had tested God. He had spoken with God. He's hearing the voice of God in this moment. And yet, he is still afraid. Isn't that good to know? And God said, if you are afraid, allow me to comfort you. This is good. Verse 11. And listen to what the men are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites and the Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in this valley as thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such a force the tent overturned and collapsed. And his friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they'd changed the guard. It's the middle of the night. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew their trumpets and smashed their jars. Grasping torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpet they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And while each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. With the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah towards Zerarah as far as the border of Abel, Mahalah near Tabith. I don't know. I'm trying. Israelites from Nephtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers through the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. And God gave them the victory, and it was a miracle. 
300 men in the middle of the night. They have this strategy, this plan. They separate out all around this camp and they make all this noise and this terrified armies in this valley end up killing each other out of their fear because God gave them the victory that day. It's a great story. It's amazing to think about what was happening in the minds of these guys, what it must have looked like to picture the scene, this, this battle taking place all between the people. The only ones fighting are the enemy soldiers. God gave Gideon the victory. We see a different Gideon here than we did in the beginning of chapter 6. He's more confident. He's more determined. He's still scared. We see that because God has to give him a a little bit of a boost, a little bit of a confidence boost there around verse 10. But he's committed to do it scared. And what a great story of 300 versus hundreds of thousands. It's literally like the movie 300, except this takes place about a thousand years before those events. Gideon fulfills his calling. And God is calling you to step into yours. God is calling you to to have the faith that Gideon had to step into your calling even when it doesn't make sense. Even when there doesn't seem like there's any possible way this could turn out in your favor, God is calling you to obedience in your calling, to discover your purpose. Even if it takes more faith than you think you've got right now, even if it's scary to make a difference using that purpose. But maybe like Gideon, You've still got some hesitation around it. I think when it comes to following these God-sized callings, we end up making one of two different errors, two two very different mindsets that lead to our downfall when it comes to following our our calling. Uh, The first one is this. We don't trust God enough, and we want every detail. We don't trust God enough, and we want every detail. Is this you when you feel God's calling on your life? Have you begun to discover your purpose, but you aren't satisfied with the information you've been given? Here's what this looks like. You've had a string, a a stirring inside of you for a long time, this dissatisfaction inside of you. You, You've gotten clear clarity around what it is that God wants you to do. You feel like he's, he's put a vision in front of you, and you've tested it against scripture, and you prayed about it, and you've spoken to your life group leaders about it, to your community about it to your mentors about it. And everybody says, I see this in you. God is calling this out of you. Yes, this is what he wants you to do. And you know it, but you can't commit to it because you don't feel you have enough details. God, I can't do this because I've got this, this, and this reason why I shouldn't. God, I can't do this because I don't know what it'll look like when I finally step into it. God, I can't do this because I don't know how I'll provide for this thing Once that happens, God, if this is your will for my life, I need you to show me the next five steps so that I can be certain it'll be okay. You see, this this sort of thing happens not just because of a lack of faith, but because of an an overneed for knowledge. God doesn't always show us the whole path at a time. In fact, he almost never does. It's usually just one step forward at a time. Gideon and his men are called by God to reduce their numbers. But God doesn't tell him how he's going to defeat the Midianites. Just that he will. Just that God will be with him in it. He tells them that he'll get the victory, but he doesn't give Gideon the battle plan. Maybe that's you in your life. Maybe you're waiting for the whole battle plan, but all God is going to give you is your calling. Second thing that we end up doing, and this is the flip side to the coin, 
is we trust too much and we don't act in wisdom. See, wisdom is important. It's valuable. In fact, there's entire books of the Bible devoted to wisdom. We see wisdom teaching all throughout the scriptures. God wants us to use the wisdom that he would give us, that he's given us through our life experiences, through people he's put in our lives, and wisdom that comes straight from the spirit of God within us. But oftentimes, in a pursuit, a genuine pursuit of faith, we ignore wisdom. And I believe there's such a thing as stupid faith. This is faith without wisdom. Here's what it looks like. God calls us to do something and we can feel it in our bones. We know we're supposed to do it, but we don't test it and we don't seek God's wisdom in it. We don't test it like like we talked about last week. We don't put it against scripture. We don't pray about it. We don't bring anyone else into it. And without any other questions, we just do it. This happens to new church planners a lot. I, I'm going to talk about church planning a lot today because that's my experience. That's, 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 that's what I've done so far that God has called me to do. And so I want to share a little bit about it. Well, I spend a lot of time with, with church planners, guys that start churches. And I see over and over again this same kind of pattern. Too many guys who do this. God calls them to start a church, but they don't research the area. Or ask other pastors what's worked and what hasn't or apprenticed under other church planners to learn how to, how, what, what, what good strategies are, or built a strategy for the first year, or raised up a leadership team or a staff, or they haven't raised any money to start the church. And they go, and they're in the call of God, but a year later the church closes because it didn't work. I find that most of these guys I meet, when I listen to their vision for the church and, and the call that God's put on their life, that it is absolutely from God but I don't think it was God's plan for that church just to close and end. I think that it's just what happens when we pursue the call of God without the wisdom of God. In your life, this may look like a stirring of God to a new career, but instead of using wisdom, strategy, insight from elders in your community, you just go in the next morning and quit your job. Gideon and his men didn't just run into the camp and attack with 300 men. God may still have given them the victory, but it would have come with far heavier losses. Instead, Gideon set and made a strategy using the wisdom and the creativity that God gave him when he created him, and he went in with minimal losses. Even with that strategy, he left room for God to do the miraculous, but he still made a strategy. And here's the balance that we have to find. If we are going to pursue the call of God, I believe that there's more than one tension that we're going to have to manage. Because I think you'll be scared. I think if, it's, if God's in it, if he's calling you to it, it's scary. It always is. You never, you, never, you never get all of the answers. And so you never have the comfort that it's going to be okay. You just have to trust and go. And so there's okay, there's okay for faith and fear to exist together. It's okay to be brave and scared at the same time. Bravery isn't the absence of fear, it's overcoming it. So we can do that, but we also have to acknowledge that we got to leave room for the miracles and build a strategy. 
We've got to make a plan using wisdom, and we've got to be okay when God throws it in the trash and changes it. We've got to use the brains and the intelligence and the creativity that God's given us to pursue this calling, but we also can't overplan, can't expect too many details, have to know that if God's called us to it, there's miracles in it. You understand there's a balance. And you got to manage that tension. And it's, it's a constant search to understand where to live in between it. And so I want to talk a little bit more about that this morning. I want to give you three different things that we have to do if we want to successfully enter the call that God's placed on our lives. So here's a couple things that we can learn from this story of Gideon. And in, in, in all of it, we're going to have to learn to balance this tension and balance this calling first thing that we can do is this. Leave room for the miracle. Leave room for the miracle. Listen, if God has called you to it, there are miracles in it. If God has called you to it, there are miracles in it. Things are going to happen that you cannot do. If it's the plan of God, if it's the call that he has for your life, it's the dream that he put on your heart, things are going to happen that you could not do by yourself. Verse 2 says, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Listen, God gets the glory for the miracles in your calling. And when God calls you to something big, he's not calling you to it so that you can be glorified in it. God will not call you to an excess of fame. God will not call you to make your name great. Everything that he would give you, that he would call you to, is for his glory. We exist on this earth for only two reasons, to glorify God and to serve people. And your calling will always fall into those categories. And so when God brings miracles to light in your story, it's just opportunities for you to point to him, for him to get the glory in your story. That's a good rhyme right there. Come on. If God has called you to it, there's miracles in it. You can't, it can't be done alone. It will require faith. And if God's called you to it, you don't get all the answers. And so I want you to build a strategy. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And I want you to make a plan, but I don't want you to expect that you will be able to answer every question because this is a call of God. And so a strategy even a strategy built with wisdom and creativity and understanding is still going to have some question marks in there. How is this possible? How could this happen? I don't know, but I believe God's called me to it, so I'm going to trust the miracles in it. I don't know how, how I believe God's called me to do this thing or to, to be this or to go after this or to pursue this, and I got a lot of question marks about how it will work, but I'm not going to wait for every single question to be answered because God's called me to it, and so I believe there will be miracles in it. You understand there's a constant balance that we have to go after. We did all, God raised a large army of determined fighting men with a purpose. But he didn't want those men to be a distraction to Israel. He wanted Gideon to leave room for him to do a miracle. And so God stripped them down 90% of them away. So there would be no question as to who was involved in these miracles. God wanted the glory in it. He wanted it to be clear, just like it was clear to me when I looked at that sidewalk that my daughter had had some help. He wants us to do these amazing things with great plans, 
But he wants people to look at it and say, God was here. God was involved in this. We did all the planning, strategizing, team building, and fundraising that we could to get this church off the ground. We, 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 we did so much. I can't even begin to tell you the amount of hours I set writing it all out and then throwing it away and writing it all out again and, and, and re-strategizing and all the hours I spent sitting in front of guys who'd done it before and the questions that I asked and trying to learn from them and put it all together. The time we spent in this city before we ever moved here, walking through your neighborhoods, praying over what God was going to do, talking to your neighbors, talking to you about what you believed the church needed to do in your community. And we did everything that we could. We put a plan together. But over and over again, we had to rewrite that plan and throw it out because God wanted to do a miracle and leave room for them to do that. And even with all the strategy and all the planning that we did, when we launched this church, we launched a service for 200 people knowing full well that only 45 were definitely going to show up. We didn't know. We didn't know what was going to happen when we started this church. We knew God had called us to it, and so we knew there would be miracles in it. And it worked, and God provided. And I can't point to anyone except for him for the glory. So here's the second thing. And here's where we can lean in a little bit because we've got some work to do. Build a strategy from wisdom and faith. Number two, build a strategy from wisdom and faith. So first, we're going to leave room for a miracle. Second, we're going to build a strategy. If God's put a call on your life, he wants you to be smart about it. He wants you to make a plan around it. Verse 17 and 18, Gideon says, it says, watch me, he told them, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. And when I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. God gave Gideon a confidence boost. He heard that the men were terrified in the camp, but that was all God gave him. You don't see God's, but we get all the conversation here that Gideon and God had in this story. You don't see any conversation where God said, now here's how you're going to do it. We just know that God called him to defeat the Midianites, that God whittled down his army so he would get the glory, and that God gave him the confidence that he would be with him. Gideon made the strategy. Gideon built the plan, and he did it using the creativity and the wisdom that God placed in him when he designed him. Did you know that your design will reveal your destiny? That what God is going to call you to do, he has also created you to do? That everything about you, the way you think, the way you see the world, it's not by accident. That it's not something that just happens to be how you are. God doesn't, your personality isn't just a bunch of neurons firing in your brain. God formed you in the womb. He made you. And before you were born, he knew you. And he had the same dream for you the entire time. And in Gideon, even when he was terrified of the peoples around him and threshing wheat in a wine press, God knew he was a mighty warrior. Gideon, mighty warrior. I've got a mission for you. And Gideon used the wisdom, the creativity, the way God made him to think to form the perfect strategy to win this battle with minimal losses. God has created us with the ability to make a plan. We know the Bible is big on wisdom. 
and gaining wisdom and seeking wisdom. There's whole books on it. In fact, one of my favorite uh, passage, passages is in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It gives you some profound advice about gaining wisdom because wisdom sounds like uh, some sort of something we're going to have to go on a quest for, right? It sounds like something you've got to really search or maybe you have to grow a beard first or or your hair has to turn gray, or you know, maybe you, you gotta you gotta wear robes at some point in your life if you're gonna gain wisdom. We overcomplicate it. Here's what the Bible says about it. It says, Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. It says, it says desire wisdom, right? Don't don't ignore it. And then it says this. This is how you get it. It says the beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. That's good, right? Isn't that complicated? Don't you just love Solomon for this advice? Hey guys, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, okay? That's how you start. You start by getting wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, gain understanding. In other words, wisdom isn't as hard to come by as you think. You were created with some and the people around you have others of it and you can gain others from the Spirit of God. You can obtain wisdom. You can make smart decisions. You can put a plan together. God gave you creativity. He designed you with this ability. And if you feel called to do something, use the wisdom you have to put a good strategy together to do it the best way. So if you feel called to fostering, then it's smart to sit down and learn what the process is and then make a good plan to do it. If he's called you to start a new career, learn how to enter that field And then make a strategy to get from where you are to where God's called you to be. Use the wisdom of God. Use the faith of Jesus. But it's a balance. It's not either or. It's a balance of both wisdom and faith. Believing God will provide the miracle and planning to do the work. Believing that God will show up where the question marks are, but trying to build a strategy to get you there. It's a balance. It's both And this is how calling comes together. Exodus chapter 18 is a great example of strategy and wisdom. Because here's something that you need to remember. If God's called you to do something, it's almost never a solo project. See, God's given us the church as the body of Christ. Meaning that we are meant to come together to accomplish the things he would call us to do. And so there's other people in your life who are going to be a part of your calling. There's people in your life who will support your calling, who will encourage your calling. And there should be people around you who will give you wisdom for your calling. Because you're going to need to gain wisdom from others. You should lay that strategy out in front of your elders and your teachers and your mentors and your life group leaders. You should check it, double check it, say, is God in it? Am I, giving, am I giving enough room for the miracles? Am I making enough plans for the details? What, where, where's the balance? Moses does this. Moses is called to lead the Israelite people. And he's, he's got this huge mission ahead of him. He's got two and a half million people, and he's got to lead them through the desert to the promised land. And it's going to take them a very long time to get there. God has already told him. And so he's doing his best. He's never led this many people before. But his job, one of them, is just to be the judge for the people. And the people are coming to him with all these problems. They've got so many problems. And from sunup to sundown, Moses is just listening to people's problems. This person stole my chicken. Okay, give him the chicken back. No, it was my chicken to begin with. It laid three eggs in my possession. Whose eggs are these now? Well, I don't know. Give him the eggs to her. And then you keep one. He's having to make silly decisions like this. And so his father-in-law has led people for a long time 
This is all he's ever done. And his father-in-law steps in and says, Moses, let me give you some advice. Look at Exodus chapter 18. It says, Moses, his father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You can't handle it alone. Jethro tells him, Moses, get some managers over certain areas of people, over thousands, hundreds, tens, separate them out. Put leaders in place. Bring them up the pipeline. Get them in charge of different areas. And then only the big stuff can come to you. And then you just manage this top tier of managers. It'll make it a lot easier for you. And then it says, it says in verse uh, 24, and Moses did everything he said. <laughs> this is the greatest part of this passage because here's the deal. You need to bring your strategies and bring your plans before people who've done it before. And then when they give you wisdom, accept it. Listen to it. We get, this is one of the things that's in human nature is we get married to our plans. So maybe God's put a calling on your life and you're passionate about it. You build a strategy around it and you bring it before somebody who's done it before or a leader God's placed in your life. And they say, this strategy is not great right here. And then you have the decision about what you're going to do with it. And then our pride wells up and we say, no, this is the plan I've made. This is the plan I will go with. But it's, it's interesting how God puts the right people with the right wisdom in front of us to do the calling that he's called us to do. We moved here with something called a prospectus. So if you have ever started a new business, you've probably created a prospectus. It's basically your business plan, how you expect everything to go. We did one of those for starting this church. And we came here with this thing, and it had all these plans in it, and budgets, and, and dreams, and timelines, and I presented it to another pastor uh, that, that's in this city that I love and know, and he had already mentored me some, and he looked at it, and he said, man, this is not going to work. you got to make some adjustments. And I, and I had a choice. I, I could have said, no, nah, this I planned in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley and Asheville are essentially the same. This will be fine. Or I could listen to the one who had done it before. And so we threw that thing out. We spent money on them, and we were real sad about it, and we just threw them away. They were like, yeah, that's dumb. We're not going to do that. That was a bad idea. And we made different plans. Here's what you got to do. Marry the vision and date the model. Marry the vision and date the model. Not great life advice, right? But, but excellent strategy advice. When God has given you a calling and you're building a strategy around it, know what he's called you to do and then make plans, but be willing to get rid of them, to throw them aside, to leave room for the miracle. That's the balance you live in when you're living in God's calling. Does that make sense? Are, we, are you tracking me here? Good, good. I'm going to take that as a yes. Here's the thing. God made to redirect our strategy. It just may happen because we want to move in faith. And I feel the further you get into your relationship with God, the more you hear his spirit, the more you'll feel the changes that God wants to make in your life. Proverbs 16, 9, it's one that I think about often. It says, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord directs their steps. Now, it doesn't say it's wrong to plan your course. It just says, be aware that the Lord may step in at any time. Leave room for the miracle, build the strategy. God's, God's got amazing things that he wants to do with us today. I want to wrap up. So here's the thing. God's got incredible things that he wants to do with us today. He's got dreams for us. But there's one more thing we've got to remember if we want to step into that calling. Number three, obedience precedes the miracle. Obedience precedes the miracle. Listen, there's, there's a lot of work to do. 
if we want to step into the call of God. But in order to do it, we have to first step in to the call of God. If we're going to do the strategy, we have to say, this is God's plan for my life. I don't have all the answers for it. I don't know how it's possible. I don't know how it's going to work out. But if God's called me to it, then I'm, I'm there. I'm stepping into it. I want to do it. I want to be in that place. Obedience precedes the miracle. Now, we want it the other way around. We want God to show us what the miracle will be at least, and then we'll do whatever it takes to get there. We want God to at least tell us, hey, where he's going to show up before we start risking our entire lives to pursue it. Wouldn't that be great? Hey, God, I'm in. It sounds like you've got a great dream for me. If you could just tonight, I'm going to go to sleep, all right? I'm going to drink some herbal tea before bed, and if you could just give me a dream, just show me exactly where the miracles will be, then I will happily do whatever you called me to do, except it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Obedience always precedes the miracle. What God calls us to do, he calls us to do out of faith and obedience. To do it scared out of those things, but to do it. Gideon is standing there with already too small of an army. But before God will show him what the miracle will be, he wants Gideon to take that army down to 300. To send away 90% of those men. And obedience preceded the miracle. Gideon was obedient and God showed up. Gideon was obedient and God showed up. Do you know the story of David and Goliath? David was a shepherd boy. He was 15, 16 years old. He was young. And Goliath was a nine-foot-tall warrior. Terrifying man. Had killed thousands of people with his bare hands. Had like scars and stuff. Real scary. And God wanted to deliver the Israelites through this shepherd boy. But here's the thing. David believed God would show up, but he had to step into a valley, into a battlefield with a giant before God would provide the miracle. Have you heard the story of Jesus walking on water? It's wonderful. Jesus is, is just out for a walk on the sea one night. His friends see him. And they're freaked out. And Peter, who's one of the disciples, says, Jesus, if it's really you, call me and I will come to you. And Jesus says, Peter, come to me. And Peter walks on water. But here's the deal. Peter didn't know for sure. See, before Peter walked on water, he had to step out of a perfectly good boat into the sea at night where we can only assume there's sharks. <laughs> Obedience precedes the miracle. Obedience precedes the miracle. Moses, have you seen the Prince of Egypt or the Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston, let my people, you ever seen it? You know the part where they part the Red Sea? The whole ocean just splits and all these people, two million people, walked across the sea on dry land. Did you know that before that miracle happened, Moses had no idea it was happening. He just had to follow God, leading two million people fleeing for their lives to a beach with no boats, just a beach, definitely to their death, except God provided the miracle. Obedience precedes the miracle. What's God calling you to do? What's he inviting you to? What adventure is he waiting to walk you into in your life? What dreams is he stirring in your hearts? Are you sitting on the edge? Are you just wondering, God, I feel you moving. I feel your call, but I don't know, God. What are you going to do? Where are you going to show up, God? As soon as you show up, then I will move. But God wants you to move so he can show up. 
God wants you to step out of the boat. He wants you to walk down into the valley. He wants you to face the giants. He wants you to go to the beach sometimes. Can I get an amen? God wants you to be obedient so he can show you the miracles. We got to make a plan. We got to be smart about it. We got to test it. We got to test God's call. We got to search for his purpose in our lives. We got to find out what his dreams are for us. But at the end of the day, we just have to be obedient. We have to say, yes, God, I will do this thing. Yes, God, you have called me to it. I'm terrified. I'm scared. I'm afraid. But I know you'll be there with me. And so I will do it. My hope for you, my prayer for you, is that you would just be obedient. That you could be scared, but that you would be faithful. That you'd build a strategy and that you'd be willing to throw it all away to leave room for the miracle. We have to just believe that God has a dream for us and he'll make it clear. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are and what you've done in my life, God. I thank you for the calling, God. I thank you for the calling you put in our hearts, for the way that you stir up unrest within us, the way that you make us uncomfortable until we say yes to your calling, God. Father, I pray for wisdom in us that as we seek your calling, that God, we would be smart about it, that we would build a strategy that like Gideon, you would give us the ability to see all sides and make the plan that would create the least losses. And God, I ask for faithfulness in our hearts that God, we would leave room for the miracle in it. And that when you show up, we would point to everybody and say, God gets the glory. God gets the glory. Be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our dreams. Be glorified in our callings, God. Give us faith and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.